Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The big game is here, and that means it's time for one of our favorite traditions here on the Take It Easy podcast, which color of Gatorade is going to dunk the winning head coach. There's a whole lore behind this prop bet. Last year, Blue was a huge underdog, and it cashed plus 500. Two of the last three years have been Blue, and Blue has only been the color of Gatorade one other year. Orange is the favorite once again at plus 200. Orange has gotten it three of the last nine years. Orange also went back-to-back with the Saints and the Packers championships between 2010 and 2011, followed by no color, which would be water, Blue at plus 400, yellow, lime, and green are slight underdogs at plus 600, red and pink are both plus 750. Red has never been used, probably because red stains your clothes more than the other colors. I think this is red's year. I'm putting in a plus 750 prop on red. This is finally the year. First time ever that red gets the Gatorade bath. Head over to Bet Online today and use our promo code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, for a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is February 10th, according to my count. May not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However and whenever it is, you may be stopping in. We are 856 episodes strong here on the Take It Easy podcast. And today, we have Gage Bridgeford joining us as our continuation of Super Bowl week starts to sound slightly more Super Bowl-y, at least a little bit more Super Bowl-y as we head towards a coin toss of a matchup that should be quite fun for all parties involved. We'll get to that. We'll also talk about the Sacramento Kings because apparently we're covering the Sacramento Kings and the transaction more than we're covering the preview for the Super Bowl this week. So we'll get to that in a minute. First off, it's the NBA trade deadline. Can you believe the crazy move that went down? I can't believe that player got traded right before the deadline. It's absolutely incredible. I can't believe what a crazy NBA trade deadline this was. I mean, before it even started, you had Sabonis getting traded to the Kings. You had CJ McCollum going to the uh, from the Portland Trailblazers to the New Orleans Pelicans. I mean... If you want all the analysis on that, you need to check out Wednesday's podcast. But I mean, in the aftermath of that, we had Joe Ingles get traded to the Blazers, even though he's 34 years old and tore his ACL. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, the Nikhil Alexander-Walker that I thought would be a special player coming out of the draft, is now 
on the Utah Jazz. He's going to be a significant playoff piece for the first time in his career since he spent his entire career with the Pelicans. I mean, gosh, what an incredible, incredible trade deadline we had today. I just, so many moves, I'm not even sure where to begin. It was just so incredible. That's our way of saying that we recorded the podcast the night before the trade deadline happened. But the Cleveland Cavaliers also acquired Chris Levert, which means at the end of this show, I'll play our new Cleveland Cavaliers song. I was really hoping hoping that they would trade for Harrison Barnes. Obviously, Harrison Barnes got traded to another team before the deadline. Wink, wink, nod, nod. I have no idea what actually happened, but wink, wink, I'm pretty sure Harrison Barnes is getting traded before the deadline. Um, but he didn't go to the Cavs. We'll still play the Cavs song at the end. Uh, anyways, that's enough jokes out of me and foretelling the amazing moves at the trade deadline. You know what, actually? Here are the five moves that I think are going to happen on NBA trade deadline day as we record 12 hours before the NBA trade deadline officially goes into effect. We have Harrison Barnes getting traded to any team. That one, I feel, is a pretty solid guarantee at this point. Let's have Malcolm Brogdon getting traded by the Indiana Pacers. Where he goes, nobody knows, but Malcolm Brogdon is going to get traded. James Harden and Ben Simmons not going to get traded. That's right, official decree right here that Ben Simmons and James Harden will not get traded before the NBA trade deadline. You know who's going to get traded before the deadline? Eric Bledsoe, that is who is going to get traded before the trade deadline. And last, but certainly, certainly not least, we are going to have the Sacramento Kings do more incredibly dumb shit right before the NBA trade deadline. And we'll discuss that dumb shit and more with our friend Gage Bridgeford as we head towards the Super Bowl and talk about the NBA for the first time all year because for some reason they put the trade deadline the same week as the Super Bowl. Wish it could get pushed back a week next year. Get on that NBA so we can start getting everyone back into focus the week after the Super Bowl. Tell me you haven't heard this before. You're sitting in your favorite restaurant, coffee shop, Maybe you're sitting in an airport because your flight's been delayed for an extra hour and a half. You want to use your phone and you want to use your computer, but you're afraid of that public Wi-Fi because you've heard all the stories. Maybe it's happened to you where your data gets hacked, your information's out there on the dark web. It's, it's scary. It happened to me uh, last year, actually. If you want to protect yourself nowadays, it's really important that you get security. And NordVPN has a deal for you today. If you go to nordvpn.com slash believe and use our code BLEAV, you can get 70% off a protection plan with NordVPN for two years with an additional month for free. With a 30-day money-back guaranteed, you are also risk-free if you don't want the service. Sign up today at nordvpn.com slash believe. Uh, how are you doing? I'm uh, doing well, doing well. Uh, just uh, enjoying a re- relatively relaxing Wednesday. Wednesday is usually my light day of the week. 
and yet you choose to do this weird, wacky podcast with me on your light, relaxing day. Uh, we're both a little crazy when it comes to the sports stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're not a little crazy, then it's not sports. Exactly, right? Um, I, I, what I've been generally asking people is, do you find interesting storylines in the Super Bowl? Because we like to do Super Bowl preview week. But in the NFL, everything is way more interesting around the Super Bowl, which is kind of weird, right? Like, this is the week where we all really end up caring about football, right? This is the end result. This is, you know, presumably the thing we talk about all the time with the sports talk show. But I'm much more interested by the NBA trade deadline. I'm much more interested by the Houston Texans doing dumb shit and Josh McDaniels being the Raiders coach and Kyler Murray and all that. And the Super Bowl, Brian Flores too. And the Super Bowl kind of ends up fading to the back. Even in, you know, what's supposed to be the hype machine for the game that we all watch the season for, presumably. Oh, I mean, there's no doubt. And with a game like this one, it's really easy to find all of the various, like, it's honestly easy to find storylines because you have, obviously, the Zach Taylor aspect of things. You have the Matt Stafford's his first year in uh, L.A., the Rams are trying to win a Super Bowl. You have guys like Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, the Rams pushing the chips all in, the you had the Joe Burrow as the like the up and coming star, the one that's trying to threaten the throne of the Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allen's, the Justin Herberts, uh, and Evan McPherson has just been ice, just cold, just ice in his veins. And basically, it's happened ever since he played against Green Bay earlier in the year. I just, I, I'm not saying that that's like the two are correlated, but. He had the kick that he celebrated early against the Packers, and they lost. And then just since then, every time you hear about him, it's the guy just talking about how confident he is when he's going up to kick. He hasn't missed in these playoffs yet. He's hit multiple game winners. He's just been lights out. So there's just there's storylines everywhere for this game. And, yeah, I mean, I'm paying attention to what's going on in the NBA trade deadline stuff. I'm paying attention to what every dumb team around the league is doing. But at the end of the day, I, I'm just enjoying I'm enjoying sports and just enjoying everyone watching sports at the same time because the Super Bowl has the ability to involve people that don't necessarily do sports normally, especially not on the level that someone like we like that we do it, where we're just locked in on it 24 7, 365 days a year, and people are like, Do you ever take time off? And we're like, No, no, we don't. Because no, sports don't always, take time off. There's always a new dumb Lovey Smith story with Josh McCown and the Texans. There's always something new and dumb you can find. And when there's nothing new and dumb you can find, you can tell stories about all the other dumb stuff that happened throughout the season or throughout the year or throughout the four years or whatever we end up doing with content. You can always find new stuff regardless of whether it matters or not. If you can't come up with a story, then you're not, then this isn't the business for you. Sports mm-hmm. that, it doesn't matter if you want to talk about sports that are happening now, what's going to happen in your sport moving forward, what has already happened. There's always something to talk about because sports have been forever. The only excuse you might have, or the only time that might be reasonable is if you're a fan of a sport that is brand new and has never been a thing. You know what? You might run out of things to talk about. And even then you can probably figure it out. Mm-hmm. But with football, you could talk about, I, what, what are we? Super Bowl 56. Is that where we're at? Right. Yes, we are at 56 now. So there's hypothetically 55 Super Bowls 
and then to go with that, there are 55 seasons where there was a Super Bowl, plus all of the years before that where there was no Super Bowl at all. There was just an NFL championship. There's always something to talk about. And so for me, this week, when trying to break down the game, because uh, obviously I do gamble a little bit on games because it is legal here in Indiana, and I'm trying to build out storylines as to how I think the game is going to progress. And when I see, okay, how do I see the game breaking down and what bet should I be making based on that kind of narrative? And with a game like this, the one thing I don't like about this extra week off is it gives you more time to make mistakes and more times to kind of second guess yourself. So I reacted appropriately and I didn't place any bets last week on the Super Bowl. I haven't bet anything yet. I have some bets lined up of what I'm going to put in, but I have been content to let kind of numbers move. People are like, oh, well, that's how you don't get the best value. I'm okay with that because I want to wait until I know more information and I get to really enjoy it, go through the entire process and then hopefully win some money at the end of it. Yeah, and that's kind of part of the fun of watching it, right? And it was interesting that you brought this up because that the concept of the Super Bowl is fascinating because it's the thing that I've said forever is the only thing that drives interest in sports is stakes and storylines. Those are the things that drive the most interest is when you increase the stakes. Even if the games are shit, they're going to be fun. And sometimes the games may not be interesting, but there's so many storylines that you can find interest in whatever it is. Even if you're watching the shitty Sacramento Kings trade for Sabonis, you can find storylines in that that at least convince you of interest in that. So I I find that part fascinating because the Super Bowl does the they have the two week hype machine to create the storylines, even if the storylines aren't actually that interesting. They can create the storylines that we'll talk about, and the stakes are no matter what there because it's the championship game, and it's one game, win or go home. I find fascinating that they've got this down to like a science at this point of figuring out how to make the Super Bowl hype machine such a big deal that other sports leagues can't just because they're, you know, one game that most of them are series one, but also they don't have the massive audience of a CBS or an NBC. They don't already have the established market that the NFL has at this point. Yeah, no, you sit here and you watch, I mean, outside of like college, outside of like college basketball and even college basketball, like with having the entire tournament, it's not so much just like one game winner take all, but like it kind of is. Yeah, but everyone yeah, is. A yeah, baseball, like game. baseball and basketball, unless you can guarantee, like unless you can, like unless, but until it's a closeout game, you're just not going to get nearly as much viewership. And especially you're not going to get nearly as much viewership if it's a team that's down or like if it's team down or up by multiple games. Game seven, obviously, game seven's obviously you're going to get the most viewership you're going to possibly get, and which is why everyone comes up with the conspiracies around the NBA trying to set up games to go longer in the series, or the Cleveland Cavaliers winning that weird game four in 2017 just so the series could go longer or something like that. That's why. But even that, but people- even that doesn't like. But even then, you go and you look at baseball where the Cubs came back and not only like did they send it to a game seven, they won. Game seven. And people in a game like, oh, seven well, that's because they went won. to extra innings and had a 30-minute rain delay. So oh, the well, they just want the Cubs to win. It's like, well, I mean, the Indians have a good story, too. They, like, were hadn't won in 80 years, I think it was, is what it was. They were the two longest, like, World Series droughts in baseball. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you had – it's not like baseball had a bad, like, narrative winner there, you know? So, oh, yeah, but I so attest like, on that one. I mean, again, it's all conspiracy theories, but I attest on that one. Baseball is just so random that there's nothing they can do to actually 
influence the results. They can only, you know, influence it for everyone involved. Baseball's just so ridiculously random in one game sample sizes that it's pretty much a coin toss every time. That is true to a certain extent. Like as like as someone that has watched a lot of baseball and played a lot of baseball in my life, there are times where just one little play in the middle of a game where you're just like, oh, that's not going to be that big of a deal can make can be the end of the game. Like we, I remember when I was in high school, we were playing uh, sectionals. Uh, I can't remember what year it was. A ball gets hit and it goes, it's going down the line. The ump points foul at first and then changes his mind and then points fair. The right fielder has stopped running because he thinks it's a foul ball. And then the ump points fair, the guy got a triple on it. They scored three runs. We ended up losing the game. I think 3-2 was final score of the game. So it's just like it's one of those little it's one of those little things where it's just little plays here and there can make all the difference. Yeah, basketball like baseball, it's a, so it's a, it can be a little harder to like kind of fix it or whatever. But yeah, no, with basketball, it's generally when teams are like if somebody wants someone to win, the NBA can make that happen. I understand that Aisha Curry like made that contestion. I don't think that the NBA is fixed. I just don't. Didn't the um, Rockets do an entire report basically trying to snitch out on the NBA of like they tried to rig a game six to force a game seven? The Rockets like submitted an entire like process of trying to snitch on the NBA over this. Yeah, well, everybody always wants to try and say how they've been screwed over and like and like everybody wants to say, oh, well, this is how I was wrong. I mean, you can go ahead and make whatever argument you want. It doesn't automatically going to mean it's right. And everybody that loses is also going to think that you got screwed. Like when I was on here a few weeks ago, I talked about how the the NFL guaranteed that San Francisco was going to win because the San Francisco, California market, you get two California teams in the NFC championship game. That's way better for the NFL for ratings. And you're like, oh, no, it had nothing to do with that. And I'm like, yeah, no, it absolutely did. But – as a like, there are I, I know there are Packer fans, however delusional they may be, that legitimately believe that. That legitimately believe the ent- only reason they lost is because it was a bad narrative for the NFL for Green Bay to win and not San Francisco to win. I personally don't. I don't believe that the fix is real. I shady refs. I think that there are bad calls. I think there may be shady instances, but I don't legitimately believe that the that any major sport outside of like FIFA is fixed. Well, this is an interesting psychology of fandom, right? I can't remember what book I read this in, but it's the idea that, um, and Cubs fans get pointed back to this for Bartman being like the literal scapegoat for everything that they did. But the idea is that it can't possibly be anything our people did wrong. The people that I invest my emotional stability in and I love and I root for they couldn't have possibly been the reason that we didn't succeed. And so it has to be some outside force. And this is like the deepest rungs of fandom that then, you know, it applies outside of sports as well. It's a super fascinating idea of rooting for teams. Well, it's easier to blame. It's easier to blame something that you can't control versus blaming a guy. That's exactly. like, like, you don't want to, there's a reason that Aaron Rodgers and I, like I was guilty, guilty of the quote unquote, of this to some extent when green Bay lost Aaron Rodgers deserved his share of the blame for that divisional round. I went on a podcast immediately after, and I said, no, that I put that blame on the special teams. Rodgers has carried you all these years. And then the one time he's having a bad day, you guys can't pick it up. 
all the times when he did everything you needed and you couldn't do your part, this time he needed you to do your part and you couldn't do it. With an all-timer of when was the last time you've ever seen a blocked field goal and a blocked punt in the exact same game. It's like a one in a thousand chance in the NFL that the Packers lose that, just like it was a one in a thousand chance that the Kansas City Chiefs lost that AFC championship to the Bengals. It just had to be every single thing go wrong, which leads us to if the Bengals do win the Super Bowl, it's going to be one of the weirdest champions in the history of the NFL, right up there with like the Giants in 2007 or the Eagles with Nick Foles. So I was listening to a podcast today uh, and, and I'm not going to give them any free promo because they are, they already make more than enough money. So they don't need any publicity from me. They were talking about publicity from our, 50 followers here on the podcast. Hey, I'm just saying they definitely don't need any. Anyway, anyway, they uh, were talking about weirdest champions in history. And they talked about the, they talked about the Oh one Patriots who were a team that kind of flew under the radar. Just kind of the, they just, you couldn't kill them. They were the cockroach team. Just kind of like this Bengals team just won't die. They talked about the Oh seven giants. They talked about the Eagles with Foles, And then they talked about a couple of other teams that were before my time, but this Bengals team is ranked 17th by DVOA. The Rams are fifth. The Bengals, that, and that's including the playoffs where they've been winning. So that's like, even though they are still, they're winning games against great teams, they're still below average in DVOA. So yeah, they would be one of the weirdest Super Bowl champions of all time. No doubt about it. Yeah, it is almost without question because they've just been so lucky in these weird one possession games. And I test. They got lucky in the, the luck of the draw on the playoff seating because Buffalo and Kansas City should have both had to play the Bengals in order for the Bengals to go to the Super Bowl. And I don't think they would have gotten the same luck twice if they had played two teams that were better than them. They only had to play one team that was indiscriminately better than them throughout the entire playoffs. And it was the Kansas City Chiefs who they were getting smacked by and then had an amazing second half comeback with like a 3% chance of coming back from that. It's I don't think they would have gotten the same luck had they played Buffalo because they were like, what, the, the fourth, fifth best team in the AFC this year. I think, you know, you, you could have told me going into the playoffs, the Colts were as good as the Bengals. I 100% would have believed you. So I think that that kind of worked out in their favors. They got one game. They were clearly better than the Raiders. They were as good or better, in my opinion, better than the Titans. And they were not better than the Chiefs, but they got that one excellent, fluky, one in a thousand chance of winning that game. Were they actually were like worse than the Chiefs, like like completely? I mean, they smoked the Chiefs for the entire second half in overtime, and the Chiefs smoked them in the first half. And cool. I guess I've just seen it minus from the, the final, Chiefs. like like I mean, yeah, longer. But I'm talking about who? Yeah. But this goes back to operating off of historical memory but like it's the reason why when the patriots with brady lost to the titans we were all so dumbfounded because we were all just like oh brady and belichick the patriots they've been good forever we expect them to continue to be good forever well the the chiefs have been good and this isn't me saying that mahomes is like over this isn't me saying like he's fallen off none of that it's no. more just looking at of everything has gone well for them forever and that's like what we've seen is them just constantly doing well the and all it takes for the Bengals to break that cycle is to be the one time team where things go their way that's that's all it takes it doesn't it doesn't take them being they didn't have to play perfect 
They didn't have to do anything overly spectacular. They just had to be better for one day. That's the difference in the NFL versus basketball and baseball. The best mm-hmm. team, quote-unquote, may not always win, but the the best team that day wins. It's like, oh, you may think that they're not the best team on the in the entire NFL, but guess what? They were the best team at the right time. It's what I've said on this podcast and every podcast and anyone I've ever spoken to when it comes to sports. The best team, the team that wins the Super Bowl and wins the championship, whatever sport it is, you have to get hot at the right time. you got to be healthy at the right time. Both of these teams today or that, that are playing in the Super Bowl this week are playing great football, and they're healthy at the right time. Mm-hmm. Tampa ended up falling apart because of that, and they still almost beat the Rams. In the, what the, the game that would have blown everything up, which is the better team on that day, ends up with would have ended up beating the Rams, even though the Rams should have won by 35. The thing that is true about the Chiefs is to, that we know now is like, we were saying all the way through, this was the worst team of the last four years. And at the same time, it should have been good enough to win the Super Bowl because all four of those Chiefs teams were all incredibly great and good enough to win the Super Bowl. Um, and what happened to Mahomes, it happens to everyone. Even Tom Brady technically blew at one point in 2006 you know it, it happens more often we can remember uh, it happens to everyone has those games it's just disappointing for me as someone who spent three years crafting this argument I've had the greatest four-year run of any team in my lifetime that it had to be that game <laughs> it could have been next year I would have been okay with it it just had to be this game where they were very clearly going to win the Super Bowl at halftime of that game against the Bengals you know, all like I said, all it takes is being, it all it takes is being good at the right time. And at the end of the day, you also said that the best team wouldn't have won that day if the if the Rams had lost. And to that, I say, the best team on the day is the team that wins the game. Yes, except for the one time that like a, a kick hits the crossbar in the upright and goes out, and all of a sudden the best team is decided by one bounce off of the goalpost. But at the end of the day, though, the team that wins the game is the best team. Yeah, if the, that's that's the that's ultimately all it comes down to. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It, all you got to do is be the best team on the right day. Uh, like that's, that's all, that's all it takes. And that's what we're going to see this week is we're going to see two teams who I think are relatively close in overall talent. I think that the Rams have more star power. There's no doubt about that, but I also think that the Bengals are a quality team. I think that the Rams have, I think the Rams have a coaching advantage and among other advantages, but the Bengals know how to win. There's a, there's a certain, there's just a certain the teams that know how to win just have a certain energy around them, and that's what this Bengals team kind of has yeah, right now. Is I, they just, I think at they this know how to point win. we call it this point we call it the Tom Brady effect, right? We just call it the Tom Brady effect. No, 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 no. The Tom Brady effect is different. This Bengals team doesn't have the Tom Brady thing. The Tom Brady thing was Brady was smarter than everybody out there. I'm not. I don't think Burrow is as intellectually intelligent as Brady was. I just think. Burrow knows how to – he's got – Burrow's got, like, good Joe Namath. Yeah, he's a winner. The best yeah, thing you like, can say it, is he's a winner. Like, you go on – like, uh, I heard on that same podcast today. Do you know the last time that Joe Burrow tweeted? Uh, was it 2019? No, it was June of last year. But still, hasn't okay. tweeted since June of last year. 
that was me being a bad teammate on that one. I should have guessed something close. So then you could have done a, a an outlandish. I should have guessed seven weeks ago, and then you would have given me June of last year. I would have been like, "What?" That was me being a yeah, bad. So teammate July first, twenty twenty one, is the last time he tweeted, and it was the same day that the that was the day that the nil stuff got approved. He's had a couple of Bitcoin ad things get tweeted out on his account, but they weren't like it wasn't him tweeting it out versus that thing on July first. That was him. He tweeted that out, and that's the last time he tweeted. He's he's not a guy that's on social media. He doesn't he doesn't do that whole thing. He just wins. Tyler Boyd was asked in an interview this week, so like, how are you guys doing so well? And he's like, hey, let's talk about the defense. Twenty seven year old wide receiver in his prime, talking about himself and his stats. Nope, talking about wants to talk about the defense. This team just knows how to win, and they got a good energy around them, and that's why they're a fun team to watch. And I think that that's why they're the perfect foil to the to the Rams because the Rams have obviously Aaron Donald who is arguably the best football player of the last decade and it's just from us and people are like oh well he's not a quarterback it's like who cares like at his position it's been Aaron like the conversation has been Aaron Donald is the best player at like in the NFL and we'll figure out who number two is later at the start of the year if you started all pro ballots and you said every player in the NFL is going to have a perfectly healthy season no one's going to get hurt ever. Aaron Donald would be penciled in for his spot on day one. Mm-hmm. It's, like, is it's like what we did with Mike Trout in all those years in baseball where we're like, all right, number one, next up. We all just kind yeah. of acknowledged, yeah, this guy's just infinitely better than everyone else. Yes. And then you go, you got Jalen Ramsey's out there. Odell Beckham Jr. is having a resurgence now that he's in L.A. after having after struggling in Cleveland, and he looks great. He has looked like the – the prime early New York Giants, Odell Beckham. You have the you have Van Jefferson is shining. You have Matt Stafford is do, is like playing well, and when he's playing really well, it's he's able to do really spectacular things. And you're finally seeing oh, so this is what the McVay offense was supposed to look like with a good quarterback. You are seeing Cam Akers is defying medical like just defining medicine de, de, defying medicine right now. The guy tore his Achilles yep. less than. Less than a, like less than a year ago, I think was, I believe it was July. Hi, and yeah, he's playing six months ago. He's playing football now, like, and he's not playing like a snap. He's playing. He's not necessarily that effective, but just the fact that he is out there at all is incredible. We all there's people that wrote him off as just being done for good, possibly never playing again, and now this guy is getting ready to be the starting running back in a Super Bowl. saying much with the Rams. I mean, the Rams running backs are one of the worst in the NFL, but yeah, because the one that was supposed to be their star starter got hurt and tore his Achilles in July. (laughs) I thought you were going to say Todd Gurley because, you know, that was the original construct of that was Sean McVay got hired to make Todd Gurley great. And Todd Gurley's still, I think the greatest running back I've ever seen for that two year stretch he was playing. And now he reinvented the team and not running the ball at all. It's just we use what we have, and that's Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham and Stafford, and yeah, we don't really run the football. <laughs> that's kind yeah, of our thing. That's another thing. You got Cooper Cup, who is every media analyst's favorite wide receiver to hear talk because he talks football on on a football guy level. And it was I still I still love that interview of him when he's talking football at the at the level that he understands it and the level that people that really understand football understand it because you can just sit there and watch him like talk through the game. And it's almost hilarious to see because no, 
the vast majority of interviews, you're just like, yeah, they're going to give the stereotypical answer. And he's like, nope, I'm going to give the high end answer that makes people really think about what's going on. And so just, I love this Matt uh, of the non green Bay teams that could have made the super bowl. I really wanted the bills to make it. They didn't. And then I, but so I don't get to watch the bills, but I'm okay with seeing the Bengals here. Well, after the, after green Bay was out, out of the AFC, I was like, okay, Bills or Bengals are the two teams that I was okay with making it. So I'm okay with the Bengals being here. And then on the NFC side, I'm okay with the Rams making it. I would rather them than San Francisco or uh, or Dallas or any other number of playoff teams Arizona. this year. Arizona, Arizona with their backup center Tampa. and backup guard. So yes, I am okay. I'm okay with this matchup, and I think it should be a good time all around. Yeah, I, I love the. I would pretty much like to watch the Bengals in the Super Bowl after the Bills because that just means it was them over the Chiefs because the other four teams in the AFC were terrible, just terrible. Um, this year, the Patriots were no fun. The Titans were no fun. Raiders and Steelers didn't believe the terrible AFC playoffs looking back on it now. Like, just looking back, is so bad. Hey, but at least we got that seven team in the playoffs, right? We really needed that to be done. Yeah, the Eagles and Steelers very much. Although if it had been the Saints, I think you could make the argument the Saints could have done what the 49ers did, given what happened at Lambeau in that snow game and playing the Buccaneers in the second round or in the first round. I'm not, not saying it wasn't impossible that the Saints could have done what the Niners did and making a surprise wacky conference championship run that maybe keeps Sean Payton employed today. I think if the Saints make the playoffs, I think that the Packers make the Super Bowl. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm with you because they probably should have made the Super Bowl anyways, if not for just a weird everything had to go wrong just to have a coin flip game against the 49ers. I think that's totally fair. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I, like, I agree with that. I just mean – so I think this, I think New Orleans can go and beat Tampa Bay in the first round. I think that so – so you have New Orleans winning there. But then, and San Francisco's then, out altogether because if yeah, that would if if Jalen Ramsey had batted down that pass in Week 18 that Jimmy Garoppolo threw to send it to overtime, the 49ers have not been in the playoffs. Saints would have been the seventh seed. Yeah, and then you have so Eagles would have played Dallas. Dallas. Wait, they would have played Dallas. Yeah, or Eagles would have been Arizona. The, Eagles would have been the. Oh wait, that's right. They would have been Arizona there. So. Yeah, I guess Arizona would have played the Eagles. The Rams would have played Dallas in the wild card. Uh, that and you would have had the you would have had the Jalen Hurts Kyler Murray narrative. That would have been fun. To the the two former Oklahoma guys, they're two young quarterbacks and they both run the ball. Yeah. So we would have gotten to listen to like talking heads make that or that discussion. Yeah, but but I I'm, I'm low on Jalen Hurts personally, but yes, that that's the other part definitely. I cut you off there, but yes, the be vaguely racist about how skillful they are, how athletic they play and make all of those comparisons. Yeah, no, that would have been just a week of like the old of the stereotypes, like the uh like just the running joke of the class act stereotype or the sneaky athletic white guy. Or, yeah, or just, Cooper Cup being such a smart intellectual wide receiver. That's Which, in fairness, he is, but it has nothing to do with him being white. Like, he is a street, extremely smart player. There's no doubt about that. But it has nothing to do with him being white. The two are not directly correlated. Yes. But, ev- but everybody that, like, wants to try and seem like they're not saying things they're not supposed to, 
make it seem like that's all the, the only exactly. reason. Exactly. That's the thing that I was saying about Cooper Cup. It's the same thing Josh Allen is. This can be extremely fun as long as white people don't ruin it. Cooper oh, Cup, can, no, I, ruin they've already ruined Josh. The white people have already done the, the thing with Josh Allen because now he's the great white hope. They haven't quite gotten that far with Cooper Cup. I think Cooper Cup is famous enough for people to start. Maybe this week changes that, but quite done that with Cooper Cup. Remarkably, somehow the white wide receiver who had maybe the greatest statistical receiving season ever somehow flew under the radar. <laughs> somehow. Not sure how that happened, but they haven't done it. They haven't ruined the experience with Cooper Cup yet. I think they already ruined the Josh Allen one by talking about his impeccable intellect, which I don't think Josh Allen has ever had anyone say that about him in his college career. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody has ever talked about Josh Allen as being a a, a heady quarterback. It's always that he's just the country strong big kid, mm-hmm. which, I mean, in fairness, he is country strong. He is big. But, the, the, again, it's just – we're getting off topic, though. I just yeah. I again, yes. White people don't ruin Cooper Cup for us. Don't. Yeah, make- no, they're gonna they're gonna ruin it, and I can't wait to listen to bad commentators in the Super Bowl. It sucks that I don't like. I have to listen to someone other than Al Michaels. If I just got to Al Michaels for the entire game, I'd be okay with that. Well, I don't think Drew Brees is better. I think people complain about Chris Collinsworth. I'm like, man, it could be a whole lot worse than Chris Collinsworth. I'll tell you that. I I uh, disagree. I as someone that had to listen to Chris Collinsworth talk about Russell Wilson for the last decade, <laughs> even when Russell Wilson wasn't playing, I have no desire to listen to Chris Collinsworth commentate games. I also don't like the fact that his son got nepotism and got handed a job at NBC and got pat and passed over all sorts of people just because of who his dad was. Well, this is the happens that people don't talk about enough because not a lot of people care about like sports media in the same way all the same problems we're talking about with the the nfl and hiring issues it all happens in sports media as well sports media is a closed industry to get the big corporate jobs you need to have connections without hell the the nickelodeon game is being broadcast by noah eagle and it's like, oh, I wonder how he got into that position at the very beginning. All of the same things end up plaguing sports media as well. Even you know, the people covering the issues about the Rooney Rooney, the conversations around Brian Flores and black coaches are also by the same things in their industry. We just don't talk about that in the same way. But yeah, I remember seeing the whole like Jack Collinsworth and I was like, wait a minute, is that is that the is that the same Collinsworth that I think it is? And then I looked then I you like, hear oh, his voice. Then yeah. then you hear his voice and it's like and it's oh, exactly that's the who Collinsworth. It is. And you're like, why you're like, what did this guy do? And you go look and at his resume and it's not exactly uh it's not exactly the longest one out there. Do I think that he's bad at his job? No, I don't. I just think that there are people that have probably been doing the same thing that he's been doing. They've been doing it longer. They probably earned that chance, but because they don't have the right last name or they don't know the right person, they get passed over for it. And as someone that has dealt with that in life, I, it's not it's not a fun feeling. And I like I feel bad for those people because that could have been their one shot. Mm-hmm. Like that could have been about- someone's one shot could have been getting that job, and instead they don't get it because someone else knows it, and now they're forever just going to be just another guy that works behind the camera. It's all about opportunity, right? Opportunities. No, about, no, opportunity doesn't matter. It's about who you yeah, are. Yeah, exactly. And so many opportunities, right? So 
this is where who gets access to those opportunities determines everything. Like I have no way of knowing how much Rico is at his job than anyone else doing broadcasting. I'm sure Mike Tirico is, has some sort of qualification there, but I'm not sure what gives it to him more than he would just happen to be right place, right time at ESPN to get promoted to Monday night football, which he then transitioned into being corporate face of NBC. I have no idea what makes him more qualified than other people who have also perfected the same craft as him. It's just at a certain level, you have more qualified candidates than positions and connections end up being the difference maker in that world where it's a closed environment and only people with power want to maintain the power, usually for their children or someone with a connection to them. But people in power want to stay in power and help keep people kin to them in positions of power. Yeah. And then, and that'll never change. There's no, there's a, there, like, it'll just, it'll never change. It'll always be how it is, is nepotism. And I like, we get to listen to Chris Collinsworth for four hours and we'll have, and like, I love, I love Al Michaels though. Like I, I'm okay with, like I said, Al Michaels, I would love an Al Michaels, Jim Nance pairing. Oh, just time. take out the player commentator thing. Just I don't, yeah, I guys. don't care about the aspect of you want a color guy and a play-by-play guy. I don't care. I get that there's the whole like there's certain guys that are better at that thing. I would rather just listen to two commentators that I enjoy listening to for the entire time over listening to just oh this is the pairing, this is how it works, and that's but that's just like, I think because I think that there's guys that I just enjoy listening to do their job. And that's why I like listening to Al Michaels. I like the like Tony Romo and Jim Nance. They're a great duo. Or Tony Romo is way better on an interesting game. If you have him on a game that's kind of boring, kind of a blowout, he's terrible. There's only they, there has only been so many quarterback or so many commentators that can make good game or like make a game that's a blowout make it still interesting to listen to. John Madden was great at it. He was he was phenomenal. It didn't matter if like it could be a forty five point blowout game. And he would still have you still just Tony Romo when it's a good game, like it's a close game. Like the, uh, I think he was on the Chiefs Bills game. He was great for that because it was a tight game. But when it's a blowout game, he just, he has no ability to pull you in and will make you want to keep listening and keep paying attention. Yeah. Jim Nance is just the commentator I enjoy listening to. Al Michaels, I have always loved watching. So I don't care that they're both the same like role in the studio. I would just rather listen to those two just talk football for four hours and then call it a day. Well, here's your nice compromise is that every Thursday you can watch Al Michaels and Troy Aikman broadcast on Amazon. You can get in on that. I don't like Troy Aikman. So no, I won't be doing that. (laughs) <laughs> uh, what happened to Rodney Harrison, by the way? I've been asking this question for like two months. A man's man's like had someone hold up his umbrella early on in the season, and that became a meme, and he just disappeared from the NBC broadcast. I'm just like, where did Rodney Harrison go? He's not in the studio. Like, he, I think he does the thing with Jack Collinsworth now that where they like have intermission some point on the pregame show. But I haven't seen Rodney Harrison in like three months on the NBC broadcast. I'm just like, wow, they cut him for Drew Brees. And they just said, nope, desk too crowded. See you, Rodney Harrison. Yeah, he's well, it's because he's on site now. They have him doing on site uh, stuff and they gave Drew Brees the in studio job. 
while they wait for Chris Collinsworth to retire in 10 years. But Drew Brees is so boring as a broadcaster. Uh, Drew Brees could be, could, could be better. There's no doubt about that. I think he's, I think he's fine. Um, I, I generally don't watch pregame shows anymore. I, I tend to mm-hmm. find most pregame shows boring. Uh, and that's, that goes for all sports. That's basketball, football, baseball, whatever. I don't, I generally don't find pregame shows entertaining because they're just going to rehash the same thing over and over. And, especially if it's a sport that I pay attention to like football, I generally don't need to listen to this. I can go listen to a podcast and get way better breakdown of information from guys like, like Ben Benjamin Solak of the ringer. I love listening to Ben Solak talk football because he's fantastic at it. And I would rather listen to him talk for two hours over listening to the same rehashed quotes by uh, Boomer Esiason and Terry Bradshaw. For, for two hours. I just, <laughs> a bunch of guys in their 70s. A bunch of yeah, broadcasters I, like, in their 60s and 70s. You need to establish the run. No, you don't, okay? You don't need to. It's fine. It's okay. And then but we're no. going to add a little flavor of Nate Burleson in there. We're going to add Nate Burleson to a bunch of 50 and 60 and 70-year-old broadcasters. And Nate's, Nate's so good. He was so good on Good Morning Football. And then now he's not on Good Morning Football anymore. But Yeah, he upgraded uh, to the big show. Yes, this morning. But yeah, so I just, I, I just like when it comes to like watching commentators and stuff, I just think that there's certain ones that are just really good. And I think that a lot of the time, the best, some of the best ones are the ones that don't get the higher end games. Like I think Greg Olson is very good. Uh, I really enjoy uh, like just the Akeem Talib ones are always fantastic. Mm-hmm. I always listen to him. It's uh, him and Gus Johnson. I always love that pairing. I think someone at really Fox deserves together. a raise for that one. Someone at deserves a raise for thinking let's put these two together because those are awesome broadcasts with Akeem Tlaib. I also like Charles Davis. His voice is very silky. Yeah, Charles Davis is also good. So yeah, I think that there are just a lot of the, a lot of the time, like the best commentators aren't the marquee names. They're not, or the marquee games. They're just the guys that fly under the radar and no one really thinks about them. And unfortunately we just get stuck with whatever guys have been around the longest because they're the ones that are highest up in the food chain. On no, on the top broadcast, we just get white Dallas Cowboys because on the top broadcast, it's always got to be white Dallas Cowboy and also Chris Collinsworth. Chris Collinsworth lucked into the NBC job, and he is so lucky because there are so many other guys that would be way better on the night cast of the Sunday night game than he is. And he gets to work with Al Michaels, who is one of the just from my lifetime. Just one of the absolute best commentators, like regardless of position, regardless of sport. I love listening to him talk about any game because his voice, kind of like you said with Charles Davis, is very like smooth. Al Michaels is very distinct, and whenever I hear him speak, I immediately pay attention because I'm like, okay, he is saying things that I need to pay attention to because his voice is very, very crisp and very, it really cuts through the air to get your attention which is why yeah. I love listening to him. And then you have Chris Collinsworth, who I just, I don't like listening to him speak in the slightest. Well, you can enjoy him one last time with Al Michaels on Sunday, Bengals and Rams. And then you can also not watch the Olympics also on NBC. Spending billions of dollars on content. Old people watch NBC. Are the Olympics even on NBC? Uh, yeah. They started like a week ago, apparently. No, for uh, some reason I thought they were on like Peacock or something, or you could only watch them at like four in the morning. 
it's in it's in China, so all of the live stuff is in the middle of the night. But it, they're trying to move a lot of the content to Peacock because they want to drive streaming numbers there. But I think they still do like a primetime coverage from the Olympics on weekdays. But they also have the Super Bowl at the same time, which is uh, intentionally done, actually. I was going to say a rough break, but I think they did that intentionally to get the Olympics and the Super Bowl at the same time. Well, this is normally the time they are. I think it's just the the fact that the Super Bowl ran is a, is a week later this year is the only reason why it seems off. Because normally this is when the Super, the Olympics are going on. Oh yeah, but I think NBC and CBS did a trade years last year. NBC was supposed to get the Super Bowl last year, CBS this year, but they did like a trade so that NBC get the Super Bowl and the Olympics at the same time. Very strange, but I think that was done intentionally before the pandemic happened. Well, that is some very far ahead. Did y'all know that the greatest quarterback of all time is not just a goat on the field. He's a goat when it comes to investing. He invests in stocks and crypto and even art with Masterworks. Masterworks is the investing platform that lets you buy shares in art from icons like Picasso, Monet, and Warhol. And when that art sells, you get return on investments as high as 30%. If you want to get priority access with Masterworks today, go to masterworks.art slash believe. Masterworks.art slash believe to start investing in stocks and cryptocurrency and shares in artwork today. You can invest like the goat with Masterworks. See important disclosures at masterworks.com slash disclaimer. Planning, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the last time, or maybe two times ago that you were on, we ended with some Sacramento Kings talk, as I record this, about really 10 minutes away from the Sacramento Kings Golden 1 Center, where Dematis Sabonis will suit up for the Sacramento Kings against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Tickets are currently going for $8 tonight if you want to go watch Dematis Sabonis and Jeremy Lamb play for the King. Um, you were the one hooking up Tyrese Halliburton, and I don't see it the same way where people are like, oh, this guy's really going to be something else. Um, not necessarily like, oh, he's going to be one of the 20 best players in the NBA, but, you know, this guy's got something there. Um, they traded, they made a trade that looked like doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because. Sabonis being your best player means you're as good as the Pacers were last year. But what did you think of that trade with Halliburton now being on the absolutely tanking Indiana Pacers? I think that the Kings make no sense to me. Uh, You're trading away a young build around player for a guy that's a win now ish. Like, like Sabonis isn't old, like per se, he's, he's still in his prime. So he's in his second contract. Yeah. But like, you need to lean into the idea that you're going, that you're rebuilding. You're uh, what at best Sabonis makes you one of the play in teams, but in order to get him, you had to give up Halliburton, who is one of your probably, I think, three best, three or four. Let's call it one of your four best players. Hey, I've and, said it is the only good draft pick the Kings have had in the last five years. Of like he's one of your, like one of your three or four best players. And then you also had to give up Buddy Heald to get it, to get to get Sabonis. So at best you're going to be in the playing game, but at worst, you're probably going to be hanging out more likely in the 11, 12, 11, 12, You've been the place they've been my entire life, which is yes. four games out of the playoffs with five to play. 
Exactly. So that's, I mean, that's just what I don't, I don't see this move making sense. I think that this was a foolish move made by a team that's desperate to try and make a splash before it's too late. Only yeah, problem is I, go, I think it's already too late. It was too late when they drafted Marvin Bagley over Luca. The thing that I point to them is commend them for not just immediately going back to the teardown. Like I actually like the move. I think on a, like a pure trade move, this is actually a good move for the Sacramento Kings. Like they are a better team today than they were yesterday. The only concern is if Halliburton becomes uh, an all-star, then they gave up a younger all-star for Sabonis, who they have under control for this year plus two more years. On a surface level, they are a better team today than they were yesterday. It's just commend them for doing the same thing the Bulls did last year, which was, ah, damn, we messed up every single draft pick in our rebuild. Ah, shit. Well, let's just sign a bunch of people and try and be good anyways. And we'll lose in the first round, but whatever. We can't win a championship. The Kings basically said, we have no assets to compete in the modern NBA, but let's try and make the playoffs one time instead of going back to the top of the draft, which, you know what? Commend them for the effort. I have to say, it sucks to always be at the bottom of the lottery, but I commend them for at least saying, let's try and get an eight seed. Let's try and have a home playoff game for one time in our life. Let's let's do that. You say you commend them for their effort? I think it was a foolish move. Embrace being bad. Philadelphia is the example of it's okay to be bad if you eventually start making the right decisions. They are they're bad, and they've stayed bad because they haven't made the right decisions. Just, it, it just it, embrace being bad. Stop trying to stop trying to rush into it. Guess what? You're gonna okay. You're gonna go ahead and you're gonna pick like seventh, or like you're gonna pick probably five through eight, somewhere in that range, and you're gonna go ahead and not get one of the top players again. The Kings, despite being terrible all these years, have they ever picked number one overall? Well, they did pick number two. It was Bagley over Luca, and that was the move that set them back like five years. And then they also had the five pick in there, and then I think that was it. I think they had two years at the top of the lottery. One year they gave up their pick. I think they the the year that um the year I think it was Fultz maybe they they gave their pick to Philadelphia. So. I think one of those years they lost a top draft pick because of Vlade Divac being Vlade Divac. But they, I think they had two years in there where maybe it wasn't the Fultz year. I think there was one year yes, they had a the top Fultz pick. year they trade. Well, they yeah, they gave their pick uh, to Boston. Or, well, they gave it to Philly, and then Philly traded up, I believe is what it is. Because it looks like Boston got from a pick from Sacramento via Philadelphia. Philly got a pick from Brooklyn via Boston. So I think that that's where so that, all the swaps happened. That might have been 2018, the pick, though, because I know that year they took De'Aaron Fox. So I think they did kind of have their own pick that year. It was just at – No, they, no they, they picked with the Philly pick. or that, oh. like Because I'm looking right at it right now. They, they didn't pick with their pick. They got – their pick for, for Fox was from Philly. Oh, I see. So they did a pick swap. Interesting. Yes, it, I believe that they – yeah, I believe the that Boston and Bro- – Boston and – uh, and Philly swapped spots, and then the Kings had swapped down because I think the Kings maybe were in the three spot and they traded to the five spot, and then Philly went from five three to one. I think 
possibly. Yeah, it was like bottom a, line, it, was like it wasn't there. Preordained pick. swap. Yeah, it, it was, was like a preordained pick swap from yeah. like I think it was like a Nick Stauskas trade or something like that. Yeah. But anyway, so like I sit here and I look back and you and they picked. Obviously, there was the Bagley year. They picked. It was Halliburton at twelve, Zach Collins at ten, Marquise Chris at eight, Collie Stein at six, Nick Stauskas at eight, Ben Mclemore at seven. Thomas Robinson from Kansas at five. Oh, this Beyond is the fun part seven. of the game. Um, Demarcus Cousins have... at five. Tyreek Evans at four. And after that, then and then that was, and then they have a bunch of picks like in the twenties and t and tens. Uh, Spencer Hawes at ten. Jason Thompson at twelve. Uh, Jason Williams at seven and ninety eight. So there was a few years in the middle there where they had like it looks like they might have made the playoffs or been close to it. They did but not they, because the Sacramento Kings have not made the playoffs since 2006, which I can't emphasize to people just how hard that is to do in an NBA where half the teams make the playoffs. The range that I was talking about was the early 2000s, like 2000 to 2005. That's what I was saying. <laughs> they might have made the playoffs in that range. So, yeah, they had the anyway, 2002 conference finals, and then it all fell apart after that. But anyway, like they've never picked number one overall. They've always picked in that early – to like mid, like early, like that early, like single digit range, early the mid single digit range. Just embrace being bad. Just embrace being bad. Tear it down. Ship out everybody that's bad or like has that isn't a long term piece. Ship out Rashawn Holmes. Ship out Harrison Barnes. You can't ship out De'Aaron Fox now because you just traded the guy that you would have that you should have kept. You should have sent out Fox and kept Halliburton and just rebuilt around Sab- – like, if you want to trade for Sabonis, that's fine. Bring him in, pair him with try Tyrese Halliburton and try to really build a young team. Instead, you're going to sit here and try to make these moves to push for the 10 seed. You're probably going to finish 11th, 12th, or 13th, not pick at the top of the draft, and just be continue to be stuck in mediocrity. This is true. Push back and say they just did that with trying to be at the bottom with Getting Fox, getting Bagley. I forgot who you said they took in 2018. I can't I can't remember who it was now, but the, the point still is they went through that. They traded for Harrison Barnes. They signed a bunch of people, and Vladi Divac got fired. Now with a bare asset cupboard, they tried their best to try and, you know, not be terrible. But I agree with you. Like, long term, this is not the most effective strategy. It just sucks. It sucks. I I commended the Bulls for doing the same thing. Is like if you just spent four years being awful, and the Kings just spent four years being awful, except for that one year they almost made the playoffs in the bubble. They got the they got the we had to invite them because technically they're not eliminated from the bubble season that led to them getting Halliburton. Like they just went through it, and so like with the Bulls, where the Bulls gave up two firsts for Vucevic, signed Ball. Signed to Rosen, they're still going to lose in the first round. It's better than going on a decade of being near the top of the draft lottery. But yeah, if I'm Sacramento, it's not great, but it's the best we can do with what we have. And we'll delay the next rebuild two years, and maybe we'll get one playoff appearance to show for it. <laughs> they won't. You and I both know they won't make the playoffs. Ten teams make the playoffs. They can get to a play-in game. They with with Sabonis and Fox, they can get to a play-in game because I think uh, I think the Clippers are about to fall off. So I think they could maybe get to a play-in game. Congrats, you made a play-in game, which I don't count as the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, if somebody else wants to, if you want to count that as the playoffs and take that as your win, be my guest. But I don't count that as the playoffs. I count that as I count that as a a, a game. 
A game. Yes. A, a game, yes. A possible home game on national television, which Sacramento has not had in eight years. Um, I look at it as the no, the playing game is the uh, that's the the extra. It's the extra game. It's like you ended the season tied, and there's no t- and every you're tied on all the tiebreakers. So we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna we'll we'll have you play a one game playoff, and whoever wins the one game playoff, you're in the playoffs. So I don't look at it as the playoff game. I look at it as a tie. Are you tired or bored of your current NBA team? Have you recently lost a superstar and are now spending years stuck in a rebuild? Are you a Lakers fan who hopped on the bandwagon after the Russell Westbrook trade but are now tired of defending Anthony Davis on Twitter? If you or someone you know is experiencing perpetual mediocrity, then we have a new solution for you. Introducing... The new Cleveland Cavaliers. We know it's now been four years since LeBron left, and the Cavaliers have had a really poor reputation. But with the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, and while currently sitting five games over 500, the Cleveland Cavaliers are a perfect option for any new and adopting bandwagoners. Yes, for 20 years the Cavaliers' strategy was to have the greatest players in the history of basketball be born in the general area of your city, but the Cleveland Cavaliers have pivoted in the last four years. We traded Kyrie Irving, who we got with the number one pick in the draft, and basically only got Colin Sexton in return. We then refused to sign Colin Sexton to his rookie extension, only for Sexton to then tear his meniscus in week one. The Cleveland Cavaliers signed Kevin Love to that four-year, $120 million extension, and we still have refused to trade Kevin Love because we are loyal. We know we've drafted in the top five six times in the last 10 seasons, but we've also had more success than 26 other NBA franchises in the last decade. When you join the new Cleveland Cavaliers, some of the perks involved are three fun young rookie stars, the possibility of acquiring Ben Simmons, and no expectations for the 2021-2022 season. That's right, you get all the fun of a team that's allowed to talk shit on Twitter, and none of the expectations of actually winning a playoff series. Remember when we had John Beeline, and he was basically Urban Meyer before Urban Meyer? Neither do we, and we've moved on from this through a pandemic and multiple draft picks to create a new, young core of Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, and Evan Mobley. For all of you who are big fans of NBA Twitter, we also have wonderful attractions such as Ricky Rubio, Chetty Osman, and the legend, Taco Fall. That's right, Taco Fall plays for the Cavaliers. Bet you didn't know that. Lakers fans, how excited were you when you guys got Russell Westbrook? Well, if you join the new Cleveland Cavaliers in seven months, you'll get that joy again when we inevitably trade Kevin Love and Colin Sexton to acquire Russell Westbrook in a move of pure desperation. But that's not all, folks. If you sign up in the next 48 hours, you will receive a new Cleveland Cavaliers swag bag, which includes a J.R. Smith tattoo t-shirt, LeBron James' old practice shorts from 2016's championship season, a copy of the Dan Gilbert letter 
that he sent out after LeBron James decided to join the Miami Heat. Two complimentary tickets to a Detroit Pistons-Cleveland Cavaliers game worth $6 and Lowry Markkinen. So sign up today for the new and improved Cleveland Cavaliers. All signups for new Cleveland Cavaliers are binding through the 2022-2023 season. All signups must be confirmed before the inevitable New York Knicks play-in game in April. Side effects of new Cleveland Cavaliers include fever, chills, cold sweats, Ben Simmons trade rumors, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts or actions, diarrhea, constipation, a longing for LeBron James, and the inexplicable urge to acquire Harrison Barnes at the trade deadline. If you or someone you know experiences any of these symptoms, your doctor may prescribe Orlando Magic as an alternative for new Cleveland Cavaliers.